I was, I was taking one, and then all of a sudden one of my uh, one of our players called. I had reached out to him. Kind of. No, we're just Oregon, uh, Oregon players. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, one of our Oregon State players. He uh, he's got all the tools in the world, man, but he sometimes stands in his own way, and I just wanted to start some sort of program with him. Yeah, that aided that aided his ability to get out of his own way a little bit. Yeah. Is that uh, more school, or is it just life, just life decisions and stuff? No, 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 just how he, <laughs> how he deals with failure. Ah. Just one of those things. Ooh, how good one. You, you know, how you can, you know, how how to practice. You know, I think, I, I just, I don't think kids, they don't understand those things. You know, they don't understand how to practice. <laughs> they don't understand how to focus. They don't understand how to commit. They don't understand how to learn they don't know the how-tos to those things because I think there's so much time and energy. People are, are spending things telling them that this is how it's done when you and I both know the only way to figure out how to do something is through trial and error. Right. You know, you gotta, you got to teach yourself how to do it. you got to teach yourself what, what ways I can do things at a high level. What, what ways, you know, how much success am I having? So that way, internally and subconsciously, I already know that I'm better than the next guy because my success rates are more frequent than his are. And then you take that confidence in the game where believing, you know, if I'm facing a pitcher, you know, I get hits more than I get outs or, I, you know, I get hits on these pitches much more than the next guy. And this guy is not breaking stuff or this guy is whatever his pitch is, whatever he has, isn't good enough to get me out. And then you start to you start to believe those things and then confidence can arise from that. But kids these days aren't learning those sides of it. They're learning swing mechanics. They're learning mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. Right. And then when those mechanics stop working, they're looking for the next mechanic to come along and fix their mechanics rather than you know, just like a normal mechanic, if something goes wrong in the car, you change parts, you get going, mm-hmm. or you make an adjustment. You know, you've got to adjust. Maybe you need a new part. Maybe that one broke down. You know, your mechanics break down sometimes, and if you don't know the how-to, if you don't know the how or the why, then you're never going to know. And I think those are the the principles that I think our kids need to start learning is... Because they don't ask questions. They don't ask why. They right. don't ask how. They just say, show me, show me. And I don't know if it's the information boom or, you know, because you can get information at your fingertips. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the problem is. You know what I mean? I'm not a, I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is kids these days don't know how to fail. They don't know. They don't know how to learn. They don't know how to focus. They don't know how to commit. They don't know how to do things that ultimately create something later. Right. Now, let me ask you this. So, uh, give an example in this guy's case. You know, obviously you don't have to say his name or anything, but uh, give like an example of of how he he doesn't, um, and maybe that's what you're saying right now, is you're kind of giving examples of that. He just goes to mechanics when something's wrong Mm -hmm. instead of thinking failure-wise. But is there a, is there a, a time in front of your mind of, of what, what he kind of does and yes. it, or maybe the tipping point that made you say, you know what, I'm going to pick a phone call or I'm going to pick up the phone just give him a call. And well, 
I don't think it was a it was a tipping point. I think it was, you know, I'm dealing with my first time being an educator. Yeah. You know, I've been a player my whole life, and I think I, I think when I finally came to grips of, gosh, I guess I'm not good enough to play anymore, which I couldn't be further from the truth. Where no one just wants me. Right. That's much easier. It's not that I'm not good anymore. I could go out and play at high levels. I could go be the best player in leagues. I was just the best player in my league last year. Yeah. But if nobody wants you, you can't do anything about it. So it's out of your own control. Right. So I think for me, moving into this next stage of my life, I think some of my insecurities as a player were what other people thought of me, whether I thought I was good enough or whether it was my job to prove to them that I was good enough, and if I couldn't prove them right, then I was a failure. So dealing with failure in my own way. But what I felt as an educator is I don't really give a shit what anybody thinks. I have knowledge in this game from a first person's perspective right. through tons and tons and tons of hours that nobody will ever be able to compare with trial and error. And I spent that time trying to learn and trying to master myself through the process. And so I think as an educator, I want, I don't care what people think. So if I have to spend time with a kid who might be a mental midget, maybe we work together for a couple weeks or maybe I help him for a couple weeks and then it clicks for him because his ability, he can do everything. Like, he can play pepper with the hitter's eye. He could drag bun if he wants. He's, he, he, when you start talking about the analytical side, like this guy's K-motion or whatever, the K-motion sequence, there's like two people in all of baseball that are equivalent to him, and it's Mike Trout and someone else. I forget who the other person is. Mm -hmm. But it's like this kid's, this kid's 21 years old, and he's doing, and he can move the way that arguably the best player in the game moves. So what's standing in his way? And I think I wouldn't be doing myself justice calling myself an educator if I knew that this kid had a mental block where he was standing in his own way, where he didn't know how to get out of his own way, and I didn't try to help, then I, then I couldn't call myself, then I couldn't call myself a, a baseball coach. You know, I couldn't, right. I couldn't. Just like I couldn't call myself a player if a baseball player if I didn't know how to bunt or I didn't know how to move a runner or I didn't know how to feel the ground ball or I didn't know how to throw it to the right base or I didn't know how to get signs. All those things, they, they go so hand in hand. And now learning myself as an educator and as a coach of the game that I love the most, for me, you can see it in him when he gets to 2-0 or when he gets to 1-2. That was the biggest glaring tell to me. If he was 2-0, what, what he had the inability to do, when he was locked in, which is, you know how, it, when you're in flow and you're rolling, yeah, that's optimal. Like, I get all that. How to stay in the green. All these great innuendos that teach you and tell you, or not, not so much teach you, but tell you how to be in flow and how important it is. But all those things are achieved over hours and hours and hours and swings and swings and swings and thousands of swings that when the game comes, those allow that proper, that proper learning that takes place, the proper focus gives way 
to flow. But if you don't know how to properly practice and you don't know how to properly focus and you don't know how to commit to learning, you can't get into flow. So for me, seeing him, if he gets to 2-0, he's, he's probably swinging at the next pitch. He's already made the choice that if this is a fastball, I'm swinging. Rather than letting the pitch come out of the hand, anticipating it in a certain area, and then just trying to hit the baseball, you know, just trying to hit the inside part with authority mm -hmm. back through the middle of the field. And then whatever timing, rhythm, whatever thing breaks down or whatever success you have in it, that's what's going to happen 2-0. But he's already swinging. So if it's like a pitch that's up, you know, 2-0-3-1, probably one out of every five times, he'll, he'll hit one on the nose back through the middle. Mm. Or he'll be a little on top and he'll be a little frustrated that he hit it on the ground. But because he doesn't, he doesn't let his ability, he doesn't just let his swing be his swing. Because he hasn't learned it. He hasn't committed to it. He hasn't understood that those thousands of swings that you take, if you don't learn from them, then they're just wasted swings and you're just going into the game hoping that your eyes and your great hand-eye coordination that you've been developing over the course of your entire life. You hope all those things show up. You hope that they all take care of themselves. But hitting with hope and hitting with confidence and conviction are two drastically different beasts. Right. Yeah. So, so he does that. That's what he does. And then when he gets to one, two, if he, if he takes a hanging slider and it goes to one, one, or it's already one, one, and he takes a hanging slider and does a swing, He'll swing at the next slider, even if it bounces. Mm -hmm. Or he might, or he might take a slider because he's still thinking about the previous pitch. He's, he's either thinking about the previous pitch or the next pitch. He he mm. very rarely is he locked in. When he's locked in, he's in flow. He's on this pitch, but very rarely is he able to be on this pitch because he's he's always on the previous pitch or the next pitch. Gotcha. So that was one of the things of as I was going through our entire group of position players of what I think they could be better at from an offensive standpoint, defensive base running standpoint, I got to his name and out of all the guys that I was writing down things they could be better at, things that they did well, the only thing that I could find that he could be better at because he knows how to stay inside the ball. He does it arguably better than anybody else. He, stays in the big part of the field better than anybody else on our team. He does so many things so well, but the one thing he's terrible at is his neck up. Mm. And that was all I wrote down. And when I wrote that down, I just, in that moment, I felt, I felt obligated to send him a text. Yeah. Because I, I feel like all these kids, they now reflect me. So if they have some success, good for them. If they have some failure, with my with my experience, I could help. So if they still fail months or days, I wouldn't say days, but if they're still failing at something months later, then it directly reflects me because I didn't get to where I was able to get to because I failed for months at a time. Right. I failed for little spurts at a time, and then I had to learn, and then I had to adjust, and then I rode that adjustment all the way until my next adjustment. And that's what being a big leaguer is, is you're just riding your adjustments 
as long as you can, you know, until you until you're fortunate enough to be Mike Trout or Joey Votto or Miguel Cabrera, where their adjustments happen so fast and they have so many swings under their belt that they've learned from and have mastered. Like I think Barry Bonds said it best when they asked him why he was starting to come back mm-hmm. and try to help these hitters, and he just said, "Well, because I have a master's in this shit." Like, I have a doctorate. <laughs> he goes, everyone goes and you do these clinicals and you do all the things that you do and you become doctors and you become masters. Well, I have a doctorate in baseball. I know how to hit. I have a doctorate in this shit. And then that kind of flipped the way that I think about baseball because I think, you know, the war of the haves and the have-nots, the people who played before, the people who haven't, there are, there's just levels to it. There's just levels of hierarchy just because of the information that you get exposed to, the real-life experience you get exposed to. But then there's also another separator. There's people who have that real-life experience. And then there's people that have the real-life experience and truly love it and want to give it back and want to teach. And that's like every other educator or professor at an elite university or that's at an Ivy League school. And then you get those people that have all this great information and are just assholes Uh and want to tell you that you don't know anything. Oh, you don't know because you've never done it. Well, okay, yeah, that person's never done it, but it doesn't take away their love for it and that they want to teach, that they want to help the next generation. It's not their fault that they couldn't play past college, but they're trying to take advantage. They're humbly trying to learn as much information as they can and apply it to their own experience. And that's why I think that people who haven't played at a high level or haven't done it can, are, are still great educators of the game because they reach, they, they reach the people that they're meant to reach. It's just what it is. And I think that's where the influx where we're at now is there's like this ultimate battle of who's going to find the holy grail of whatever this case may be. But there is no holy grail. You know, this game's going to go on for another... Well, I don't know how long the game's going to go on. Because if we can't even have viruses and stuff like this, <laughs> we're going to have shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you on all that and the, the war between the have and the have-nots and everybody wants to be the be the guy or the gal, most most of it's guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really love on... your And we've had a, a few pretty good lengthy phone calls... Uh, before I'm hitting and uh, share some pretty um, good no- uh, minds on on hitting, um, but one thing that you have that's very unique, like you've been kind of letting in on in the call, is this perspective on failure. So, <clears throat> what I'd like you to do is is talk about the difference in your perspective on failure, how you look at failure, how you deal with it, uh, how it affects you, either positively or negatively, versus say like the high school player or, you know, people are going to be listening to this are going to be high school coaches, going to be dads that are coaching Little League, going to be mm-hmm. uh, along those lines, and they're going to see failure as, as the end-all, be-all. You know, when failure happens, it's like, oh, man, end of the world type thing. So what is your perspective? How do you see it differently, failure? Well, my, I, don't, I don't think I see it differently than anyone else. I just see my own wants and desires differently than everyone else. So when I say I want to play baseball, and when I said I wanted to play in the and when I wanted to be a big leaguer, and when I said I wanted to be the best, what I saw was 
everything else now, I became sure of what I wanted. So the failure that I was going to go, that I, I actually read this in a, in a book uh, a little while ago about how to learn, and it talks about being unsure. If at any moment you're unsure of something, then when you start to fail, you're going to have the victim you're going to have a victim's mentality. And you're going to go to a place that you can never get over because you never really wanted it in the first place. So the high school kid, the high school dad, the high school parent, whoever the case may be, if you are unsure if you want baseball to be your thing or not, when you experience failure, you're automatically going to go to a dark place because you don't know if you want to do it or not, and you're allowing success and failure to dictate how far you want to go or how much you want to experience because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. If you want to play in the big leagues, then you want to experience more than the person that just wants to get drafted or the person that just wants to play college baseball. You're trying to have a better experience. That's all that it is. So Mike Trout right now, he wants to be the best player ever, so he wants to have a different experience. He wants to have a different experience than, you know, the 26 guy that's going up and down who just gets fired up at a big paycheck or gets fired up at being a big leaguer. He doesn't want to be just fired up at being in the big leagues. He doesn't want to be just fired up when he gets a hit in the big leagues. He wants to get fired up when he's the MVP. He wants to get fired up when he raises the trophy. He wants to get fired up when he puts the gold jacket on when he gets into Cooperstown. He wants to get fired up when the Hall of Fame calls. There's different experiences that different people want to have. And for me, once you become sure of what you want to do, that's when you can begin to deal with failure. Because you need the failure to get to where you want to go. You need that because it's going to teach you how to overcome. It's just like every, there's, there's an age-old saying in spring training, when a big league hitter is ready for the season, he needs to go through a slump. So, yeah, it's awesome to go through spring training and rake, but every big league hitter had every big league hitter needs to go through a slump because once he goes through a slump and once he pulls himself out of it, he's ready for the season. Because when I'm hitting for six months and playing baseball for six months, I'm going to go through ups and I'm going to go through downs. But the biggest thing that you have to learn is how to get through failure. So the sooner you go through failure, the better. Right. <laughs> if you're sure about what you want to do. But you got to have that. That's kind of like your beacon. You got to have that beacon, and it's going to be super bright. And yes. I, think, I think even Tony Robbins talks about the idea of purpose, right? Purpose without purpose, people perish. In the Bible, he uh, he talks about, and it's if you're there's a difference between motivation and motivation and inspiration, right? Yes. So motivation, he says, like a warm bath. The warm bath turns cold in a matter of five, ten minutes. Where inspiration, instead of motivation, where you're like pushing yourself, I just got to do this. I got to do this inspiration is like you're talking about where like Mike Trout and you can see that you can see that in him you can see that mm -hmm. in Miguel Cabrera you can see that in I mean Botto you can see that that they don't like you said don't want to just be a big leaguer or don't want to just have that big old fat contract you can actually see the drive and the inspiration yeah. in them when they play every day where they want like you said raise the trophy they want to put on the gold jacket all that kind of stuff so having that having that uh, inspiration, it's almost like inspiration pulls you 
to the finish line versus motivation. It's like you're having to push yourself to the yeah, finish line. It's, yeah, it's like the best way to describe it would be motivation is you sprinting to the finish line with, you know, a speed sled on the back. Mm-hmm. And inspiration is running to the finish line with the feeling like you just unhooked the speed sled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like a lightness to it because you're just running through the wind. But that's what I try to explain to any everyone when they ask me what it was like to play with Mike and you know, creating a friendship with him in a, in, a, in a kinship of respect. That was the one thing that I tried to explain to everyone, but they just don't understand. Right. They can't quite conceptualize, well, what do you mean when Mike Trout walked into a room that room that he just walked into is the exact room that he wants to be in. When when Mike Trout showed up to the locker room, that was exactly where he wanted to be. When he was in the cage, that was exactly where he wanted to be. When he was out on the field during, you know, at 3 o'clock playing long toss with Cole Calhoun because the knock on him was, okay, his arm was so-so, getting his arm stronger was the only thing he wanted to do. And telling people that, in getting them to understand that without them thinking that he was some psychotic psychopath that, (laughs) you know, was obsessed with baseball. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking when you want to be somewhere and you, you don't have a memory of what's going on while you're where you want to be because you're so enthralled in the moment and you're so locked in to the present the present stretches for hours upon hours upon hours. So Mike Trout's not in flow, you know, just after we hear calling all angels and he's sitting on the top step of the, you know, the iconic picture of him just sitting there and they take a picture just before he runs out on the field. Mm -hmm. He's not in flow there. He's not in flow in his first at bat. He's in flow when he's in his car driving over because he's going to where he wants to go. He can't wait to get to the field. I mean, that's probably why he drives as fast as he drives at times. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that means in his Mercedes, you know, V12. Yeah. But he's going to where he wants to go. And it's so hard to get people to understand that because we don't do that. And we don't do we don't practice that in our own lives. We don't know what that's like in our own lives because so many people in our world today don't want to be doing the things that they want to be doing. Yeah. So those days are monotonous. Those days stretch long. They, those days, they go forever, and they seem to last forever. But only the good die young, right? The famous song, they might be 35, but that feels young to them because they've been doing what they want to do their whole life, and they don't answer to anyone. And it's not a rebellious thing. Mike Trout doesn't answer to anyone because Mike knows that through his work ethic, and through his learning of his own personal gain and through his desire to make adjustments, he's giving more effort than anyone else can possibly match. So when you talk about confidence, when you talk about him knowing that he's the best player in the game, it's not a fake bravado. It's not a fake confidence. It's because he's front and center in the driver's seat for all the work that he's putting in, and he wants to do it. So that breeds more confidence than anybody can ever fathom right now you mentioned adjustments making adjustments so there, there's been a, a couple big ones for you 
uh, one that we're all kind of taking part in. Uh, one, uh, number one for you in the transition from, like you said, going from a player who's, who's put a very distinguished career, and I got to see, I got to see uh, a game in person when you guys came to town, um, and I got to see kind of your your journey this last this last season, you know, before mm-hmm. the, the 2019. Um, and I got to see the the evolution, and uh, you know, talking with you kind of through it was kind of interesting to to listen. Uh, and then your transition. So going from that that 2019 kind of into the 2019 season, mm-hmm. and then the transition and it to being an educator, and then now kind of this coronavirus thing. So in in the spirit of making adjustments, and, and <laughs> you can you can go. You can go into it. You can take either one as an example, or all of them. Um, just mm-hmm. kind of personal or uh, baseball. What what were some of the major, uh, maybe the one or two major adjustments that you that you had to make, either mindset or training style or or whatever. I think I think going into the transition of 2019, it kind of started as a maybe in 2017 when. Someone told me that I hit too many ground balls, mm-hmm. and I think that's when it brought to some attention to me that, hey, I need to make an adjustment to stay in the game. But those were all things I think I put on a pedestal so much of, you know, all I wanted to do was make an opening day roster, and I wanted to, you know, hear my name called on opening day. I made adjustments in, in my effort, sort of say. I didn't really... I don't think sometimes I understood the adjustments that you have to make in your own game because, you know, we all learn at our own speed. You know, so the knowledge of I need to make an adjustment from the type of player that I was before, it wasn't about making an adjustment to become a different type of player or going from a line drive guy to a an occasional home run guy, but with more, you know, a higher batting average and a, and a higher slugging percentage, that wasn't what the target was. The target was I needed to make an adjustment because my game was lacking. I was falling behind of other players. So I needed to figure out, A, where it went wrong, mentally, physically, and B, okay, now how can I attack it? What resources I can use? And I think I didn't know, I didn't know where, I didn't know where to turn because Everyone has all the answers, and right. I think you're experiencing that. Yo, yo. Everyone, everyone, if you reach out to them, can give you their 10-minute, <laughs> can give you their 10-minute spiel or their 10-minute ad. You know, in in five minutes or less, they can give you their elevator pitch, and then all of a sudden, yeah, I believe in you. I believe, you know, I believe in the hitter's performance. Mm-hmm. Joey, let's have dinner. I want to, you know, I believe in what you got oh, sweet, this book is awesome. I think it's great. Because it all makes sense in the very beginning. And then once you start to apply it and once you start to learn that it's a, it's not a this is an end-all, be-all, it's try this, feel this out. Some of it's not going to work. Some of it's going to work. And then you and I create a relationship. But it was built on, it was built on trust. Because when something didn't work, I could tell you, hey, I don't see this working at high-level speeds. Or when I do this on a machine, I get, you know, I get crushed. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, scratch that. Let's try something else. Right. Most people don't do that. 
most people either buy their product to the end and they stand by it or they just tell you, oh, well, then, you know, you weren't good enough to do it anyway. Move on to the next one. So that's kind of the period that I went through. And I had to go through those things until I think I, I, went, I went up, down, side to side through all the channels. And when I found Kurt Nelson, when I found you, and I started to apply these things into my game, and I started to learn what movements promote better movements. And then now I started to learn how my body moved and how it, and how it succeeded in those certain realms. And I valued that pass-fail, that positive-negative effect, that if I do this right, there's a possibility that this is done right. I do this bad, there's a, possi there's a possibility that this is done bad. Well, when I see that I do this bad and then I look at Miguel Cabrera, that's when he does it bad. Okay, when I do this good, when I'm trying to hammer the nail, you know, when I'm, uh, some, a great cue that I still use to this day about hammering a nail, but mm -hmm. the nail isn't straight into the wall. The nail is actually the pitch plane that it's coming on and, yep. you don't, and, and stretch the nail a little longer. So if you were to beat it into a wall, you'd have to beat it you have to stay on that nail for a much longer period of time so you didn't bend the nail. Right. Those are things that I've learned that I never thought of before. And then I think when I took it into the season of this past, this past year, that's why I was able to have such a, a monster year because it was the first time that I had been playing again where I was 100 in full belief that everything that I'm doing and that I know is right. Because I'm doing it when I'm when I'm having success, it's it's elite success. It's not you know a rollover in the six hole. It's adjustability. It's hitting all pitches. It's hitting three one breaking balls. It's hitting three zero homers. It's doing things that the best in the game are doing. Yeah, I'm not in the big leagues, but I couldn't control that. But mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing these things better than I ever did it before and that's when I realized I had made an adjustment and all that time that it took and all the failure and all the self-doubt and all the self-pity and all the negative energy and all the poor me I'm not in the big leagues anymore all that went away because I was confident in what I was doing again and I think transitioning into now coaching what I took the, the, the number one thing that I valued as a coach, and I think all coaches should value, is the moment you stop understanding how difficult this game is, the moment you're done as a coach. Right. Because the second that you forget how hard this game is, we're not talking about making excuses. We're not talking about giving the kids an out. We're talking about if that kid's got a plus-plus slider, and my kid chases it a few times, you have to have the balls as a coach to say, that kid's just got a really freaking good slider. <laughs> right. And now my kids need to get better at hitting sliders. You know, because right. that kid's slider was better than my kids today. And you have to be able to say that. You have to be able to say that, you know, that guy gets a scholarship too. You know, that guy, that guy trains all day too. That guy practices positive self-talk too. That guy meditates too. That guy values adjustments too. Right. You know, that guy's not 
this isn't a world where my better is better than your better just because I say it's better. It's not like that. That's not how life works. That's not how it works when you want to play and you want and you want to swim in the same waters as the best in the game. Right. When you want to swim in the same pool as the best in the game, those guys do everything that you do and better. You have to continue to find what gives you the little bit of separator that helps you belong. That's what you have to do. And to me, that's what I've done moving into the coaching realm and now dealing with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. You know, you have to, I think you have to find a way. I think what a beautiful time that everyone can sit back and reflect maybe how we've been treating the world, how we've been treating each other, how we've been treating our own craft and how we've been treating ourselves. Yeah. Because being in isolation and you're and to give context. You're up in Washington, so you guys went on a lockdown just like we did in California, pretty quick. And yeah. Now, now you guys got the National Guard, like we do, got activated. So just to give people context out there. Yeah, exactly. And so now you're start. You know, when I sit and reflect on these things that I've never had time because life didn't give me time to sit around and have time. <laughs> yeah. You know, we all pray for more time, and it's like, holy cow, I got more time than I know what to do with now. Yeah. But that's all that's all that is, is 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 life is just this grand experience and i think it's so valuable now that when you were young and your teacher that you had in third grade said you're going to be great at whatever you put your you put your mind to because it shows flashes i think i showed flashes as a student when i was younger in some sort of project that i actually really enjoyed and i really liked and then i got an a plus on it and she goes, oh, my gosh, this was great. You're, and then, you know, you got, you got kids. You go to parent-teacher conference mm -hmm. where the teacher goes, oh, your son or your daughter is so good when they put their mind to something. Right. And then I can't help but think, well, dang, how good am I at something that I don't put my mind to? Mm. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not. That's why I get an F or a D in this class when I look back at my transcripts having to go back to school now when you're an undergrad coach you, you get the luxury of being a coach and taking classes mm -hmm. so you get twice the work <laughs> you know what i mean but mm -hmm. now you got to look at things you got to look at uh, the beast in the face of how'd you get a d in this class or how'd you get an f in this class oh wait because i didn't care because it didn't interest me i didn't find any value in it well let's apply it to baseball well i don't find any value in a rollover ball off a machine to the second to the shortstop. I don't find any value in getting jammed so bad when it's cold and I'm facing this machine that I don't want to be facing. There's no value in that. So my thumbs hurt. Cool. Why did I choose to do this anyway? This is the stupidest drill in the world. Why am I doing this? Versus when I want to and I start lighting the machine up and then I get into the game and now hitting off a person that provides rhythm and arm action, and I can dance with them a little bit more. Now, why all of a sudden am I better? Right. Because I was better when I started facing the machine. I was better when I turned my mind from this has no value to all of this has value because that's what learning provides. So I find, you know, the conversation that we've been having, the ability to answer your question, it all centers back to what are you willing to do to learn? Because mm -hmm. if you're getting your 
crap pushed in and you just quit or you're that parent that's, you know, the travel ball era. Oh, my son's not good enough to play on your team for all the work that he's putting in and he wants to do it. So that breeds more confidence than anybody can ever.